0: Good evening, it has been a wet day but it's been warm so it's the worst weather for me but um, it has been good to be here this evening and to be out of the rain. I don't have an outside job so I am grateful for that. All right, well if you guys would join me, we are going to be singing singing about, um, there is a fountain I believe, yes there is a fountain. weakness we think we have Paul talked about something that he's like God if you would just take this away I could do so much more for you and God said you know what I'm not going to and you're going to have to be happy with that Um, but we have this hope that one day he's not going to say that he's going to say you're perfect go for it we're going to sing the old rugged cross next
1: About here, I guess everybody survived the storms today, they weren't quite as bad as they were making it out to be, and in fact right now it actually looks like it's pretty nice out there, so uh, hopefully it will stay that way for us. A few uh, prayer requests real quickly before we just jump into our study, and you can have some time to pray tonight, we're just going to add to our list, cancer has just moved into our uh, presence, so Vicki King has been diagnosed with breast cancer. So uh, pray for her. She'll find out tomorrow to what extent that is or just what all that means, what they're going to do next. And so uh, she's uh, would appreciate your prayers, I know. Uh, so uh, Barney McEwen, you know, Jan and Barney, I don't know if you remember which ones they are, they're, uh, but uh, he also, you probably know this because it's been a few weeks, but uh, maybe he has cancer as well. So, uh, you know, uh, Robert and Chuck and... Miss Andrea and just keep adding to the list you know pray for those Chuck would ask that we would pray for wisdom in where and what procedures they would follow so he, he uh, they're telling him he's entering into a life of of treatment uh, it's not curable but it's treatable and something to have to do the rest of his life so the where becomes pretty important right so uh, they're asking that you just pray with them about that, that uh, they would be able to figure out that where. So you'll we'll have some time to uh, pray at the end of this. So this is the book, by the way, if I haven't actually shown you the book. This is the book we've been taking our study from, Take the Lead. And uh, it is Principles in Biblical Leadership. A little tagline under here says, 25 letters of advice to my son. And uh, that's just what it is, it's Principles in Leadership. I have taken the book and we've kind of uh, revamped it to be in how we can prepare ourselves to be used by God. The principles are the same. If we become what this guy is advising his son to become, then we're going to be usable vessels. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to be meat. Uh, meat or is, is uh, just what God is wanting. Meat for the master's use. And the way we go about doing that is become that clean vessel. And so that's what we've been kind of walking ourselves through. We're going to finish this uh, study tonight. Uh, so there's 25 of them all together you've marched through all of them with me thus far and so we'll just kind of uh have a prayer and then we'll jump into this father help us to grow in your grace help us to learn from your word as we study these things together and to become vessels meet usable uh by our master and we pray that you give us that desire to want to be used and we'll thank and praise you in jesus name we pray amen all right let's take a look at this so one other thing by the way to pray about uh so Most of you already know that um, JD's company, Matt's company, whatever, they're all going out of business. It's going out of business. And so, uh, over the course of the last few weeks, months, they've been kind of giving things out, selling things off. And they've been really offering good deals to us, to our church, because of five people, six people from our church that work there. I don't know, ten people from our church. Ten right, so I mean we had a bunch of people work there. So anyway, they've just been really offering thank you, offering wonderful uh, deals. So um, they've got two desks and three chairs that uh, they're going to sell to us for four hundred dollars. We've already bought those, and we'd like to redo the office, uh, take the desks and make the office actually more usable. Uh, Having said that, while we're doing it, we'd like to just do the floors, paint the walls, you know, just redo the office. If you ever notice in the church office, that I don't know how old the church carpet is, the carpet is in the office, but I can tell you just about the same age as the carpet in the nursery, because it's the same carpet, we did them both at the same time. Having said that, we would like for you to consider the nursery as well, as we're kind of doing this. Let's just get new carpet in the nursery, because we know it's at least 12 years old. That's about what we can remember, and the, the wear and use on it has been, it's, it's showing it. So, um so if you would uh, think about that it, it's we were trying to we wanted to wait to get strong, solid figures for you. I went online, found some things. We can do it from about twenty four hundred dollars to about forty five hundred dollars depending on what quality of flooring you decide that you would want to use quite honestly, it doesn't really matter to us you know so uh, that is, that included by the way the cost of the furniture that just gives us the new office and and uh, so um you start thinking about it and praying about it. Well, I don't have any figures to present to you. This is getting your, your juices going. All right, number 21. Get up and never stay down. That is, that is the, the uh, advice that he's giving to his son. Based on Proverbs chapter 24, and verse 16. For a just man falleth seven times, and every time he falls, the just man, the guy who wants to maintain his usability to God, gets up again. Right? We're all going to fall. We're all going to fall. But the idea of being that just man is that when we fall, we get back up. Sometimes our falls are hard. You know, our, um, The falls that we're taking, the failures in our lives, are devastating to a lot of things, to a lot of circumstances. But having said that, the just man gets up. It's not the fall that's the bad part, it's the response, well, I'm not, I'm, don't, I'm not minimizing the fall, right? None of us want the fall, but we'll, we'll walk through that in just a moment. So let's go up here. No man but Jesus has walked without sin. So, see if you remember this, we've taught this to you before, then why did Jesus walk at all? I mean, all we needed was for a sinless, spotless offering to be made. Right? That's what we needed. Jesus could have come to earth and died the same day. Right? I mean, he just he could have come to earth. But he didn't. He, now, I'm aware that God had kind of, uh, you know, we had fulfillment of prophecy that needed to be there, but God could have prophesied that Jesus was just going to come in one day and if, the payment would have still been there, right? The purpose of his walk was not... The payment for sin. The payment for sin was all in that one moment on the cross. That was that was the purpose. That was the payment for sin. So what's the purpose for the walk? Example. To be an example, right? Go ahead, Bob. He started, so the Father sent him into the world not to be ministered unto. But to but minister, minister, right. And, and having said that, it is... To be an example, right? Leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps, Peter tells us. So, um, the, the point is that Christ is fully God and fully man. And his fully man part was lived out for the purpose of showing us fully human beings what a fully human empowered by the Spirit of God, can accomplish. Do you understand? He, he was empowered by the Spirit of God, and by the way, when we accept Christ our Savior, we too are empowered by the Spirit of God, and so it is possible then for us to follow in his steps, to, to follow that example. I believe personally that it is completely possible if we could ever become Christ-like enough on this side of eternity, that we could live out a holy, righteous life. Right? We could. We we're empowered by the Spirit of God to have victory over sin. Now, having said that, I'm reminded that the Apostle Paul struggled. right? The things that I sh- know I should do, I don't do. The things I know I shouldn't do, I do. And he describes his Christian walk as a daily battle, that he has to die daily to himself. It's a daily battle that it's not easy to live out. And so this is about us. What do we do you know, when, when we fall? Well, we get up again. Now how do we do that? How do we, how do we deal with this sin? Well, it's real simple. You already know this. First John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord. That's what He does. So we confess it, he forgives us. He goes on in Proverbs says this, He that covereth the sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So let's go back up to John chapter 1, verse 9. The idea of the Christian walk is not that I confess my sin, get up and go sin again and confess it and then go sin again. The idea, uh, we're talking about the same sin, right? The idea is that I'm learning from my episode, right? I've been empowered by the Spirit of God, so now I've confessed my sin, I go to the Scripture to find out, now I know I've been empowered by God to have victory. I know I can have victory, so how can I have this victory? I go to the Scripture to find out how can I can have victory over that particular sin. And then, finding that victory, I go on to my Christian walk, I'm going to fall again probably, but it's going to be hopefully a different sin that I'm battling with. So I'm supposed to, the the growth concept is that I confess and forsake that sin, right? That I confess it. God is is faithful. And if if this is my 17th time of confessing the same sin, God is faithful. He's going to forgive me. But his desire is that we learn how to walk in the steps of Jesus Christ that we learn from that fall, yes, we get up, but we learn from that fall and forsake that sin and move on to something else. So that's just my little input there. So here's the next question. This is mine, not from the book. Is all failure necessarily sin? I mean, is it possible to be a Proverbs 24 to fall, but it's not a result of sin? No. Yes. I'm gonna tell you. Technically, the answer is yes. I agree with you. I'm, I agree with you, Scott. So, just so you know, but technically, the answer is yes because if it weren't for the sin curse that we live under, there would no, there would be no failure ever, right? Even of the, even of the kind. But sometimes, by you know, for instance, I brought up this morning um, with Miss Vicky. I'll, I keep using Robert as an illustration, so I'll use Vicky as an illustration. You know, I mean sometimes you know, it's like Miss Vicky might be asking herself, What did I do? Did I sin? Why do I have cancer? Did I do something that that God is dealing with me here? And and I'm gonna tell you that not all failure is a direct result of a personal sin. I have no idea. I'm I I People come to me like this all the time. Go ahead, Mrs. Cindy. The, line, the says, blind man. But, but it says, uh, what sin has. It was the blind man. Remember, that's what I was going to say. They brought the blind man to Jesus, right? And they said, Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents? And what did Jesus say? Neither. It was for the glory of God. So, now having said that, again. Blindness and all of, our, all of our human frailties are a result of living under the curse, right? Take away the curse, there's no blind people in heaven, right? Take away the curse, there's no cripple in heaven. Take away the curse. So, that, you know, it's part of the curse, but it's not a direct result of that person's sin, necessarily. Now, people come to me and say, Pastor, what did I do? You know, fill in the blank with whatever circumstance their life happens to be going through. Pastor, what did I do? And my answer is typically always the same. You know, For one, you didn't have to have done anything, right? This is what it means to live in a sin-cursed world. But I I would go on to say, you know, if there is something, and God is, because does God actually deal with us sometimes too? Yes, God deals with us, right? But I believe that deep down you know already, right? Because his spirit bears witness with, our spirit, about the things in our lives. So, you know, when somebody says, well, I'm, well, I don't know, what are you thinking? You know, because I don't want to say, oh, you didn't do anything wrong, and the Lord's trying to deal with them with something. Right? I don't really know, but I do believe that they probably do know, so I'd walk them through that. But the, here's the really, the, the great point, and that is that whether, whether your failure is from sin or whether your failure is because we live in a sin-cursed world, the just man responds the exact same way, right? The just man falls, but he gets up every time. I love this. Uh, how do we respond to failure? Revelation 2, 23, 2. We're almost the end of the book. Look what it says. And there should be no more curse. Whew, that's good stuff. There should be no more curse. That's what makes heaven such a glorious place. But, you know, if we do not learn how to get that just, be that just man getting up, you know, what, you know what staying down leads us to? Discouragement, quitting, constantly starting over and over and over and over and over and not making progress. We just start new over here, start new over here, start new over here, start new over here. There's never any progress. We're not, we're not seeing what God is you know, capable of doing in our lives. So we need to learn how to be that just man who gets up. Uh, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 says this, Let us not be weary in well doing." For in due season we shall reap, but we faint not. This is an interesting thing. By the way, in heaven, you know what? You'll never get weary of doing good things in heaven. You'll never get weary. That's the curse will be gone. But on this side of eternity, even when we're doing good things, sometimes, it, you know, it, it, even the good thing itself can become a stumbling moment for us because. We're living under this curse and we become weary and well-doing. and uh, you know, I, I pointed out to them this morning. there's uh, I think this may be the only time it's used in, in your King James Bible this word, but Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, "Let us go aside and take our do I know what the word is? Take our leisure, our leisure." I mean, literally it's like Jesus is saying, "Hey guys let's go over here and take a nap or hey guys let's go over here and play some disc golf or hey guys let's take a break everybody needs a break let's go over here and take our lead let's relax because we don't want to get weary in our well-doing uh, but you know our response as just people is to you know to do the same let's just get up get in a habit of getting up when life knocks you down whether it's your own fault from sin or whether it's life's fault Get up, don't stay down. That's a great uh, piece of advice that his dad gives him. So how can we tell the difference between this, you know, sin problem and this sin curse problem? Well, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 would tell us this. Let a man examine himself. I don't know what's been going on in your heart and life. You're coming to me and you're saying, Pastor, this is happening. Why is this happening to me? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm aware that it might be a David situation, and God says, David, that baby's not going to, you're not going to raise that baby. Uh, I'm taking that baby home. It might be a David situation where God's dealing with you. I know. I have no clue. I don't know if, you know, no one else really knew, right? You know, except for perhaps Nathan, who pointed out to David, thou art the man, David. But let's look, examine ourselves. Look what David, David says. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be So we first let's examine ourselves. We we pray out this God, show me if there's something I need to be doing, something I need to learn from this circumstance. Show me, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in thy way ever in the way everlasting. Uh, and ultimately Proverbs chapter three says this, trust in the Lord. Finally it's like, okay, I'm gonna trust God to either forgive me my sins, and I'm getting up and I'm gonna keep going. I'm asking. I'm confessing, and I'm going to, or I'm going to ask God to give me the strength not to lean on my own understanding and just to trust Him to go through this circumstance of life that I'm facing. Either way, I'm not going to get knocked down and stay down. A just man gets up, and so that's ultimately a good piece of advice for a son. Good piece of advice for every Christian. Number twenty-two: careful with authority. Don't criticize. How do you feel about authority? I don't know. That big word right there in the middle, rules. I deal with rules all the time. They're not fun. Regulations. Regulations are the ones that... That one drives me crazy, I have to be honest. It's called zoning laws. Doesn't, doesn't it just gall you that the government has the audacity to tell you what you can do with your property? That just I'm just telling you honestly, I don't like it. I don't like it, but i got to be careful here. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I don't have to be as careful here in this audience. But I have to be careful because the the generation coming up below us is learning about authority from us. And I'm telling you, we're reaping the benefits of the attitudes that we've had toward authority in the generation that we're looking at right now, in 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 the society we're looking at. Uh, it's a challenge, right? I mean. What do you expect people to do when the authorities don't know what to do, and there's riots going on and shutting down cities? and what do you expect And we're, we're reaping these things? So we've got to be careful the way we come across with authority. So uh, back you know, dealing with like regulations, um, like I, you guys probably remember this, but when we built this building, our initial plans were to have a balcony in here. By the way, a balcony would have fixed all of our problems right now, except for we still would want a little more Sunday school space. But a balcony would really help us out. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice? And uh, we, we, are, we don't have city water. And so being on a well, they said, well, you have to have sprinklers. Well, there's only one way you can get a get a sprinkler system to run off of a well. Anybody know what it is? A water tower. Build a water tower. They actually suggested, I'm not making this up, that we... Like, put a, you know, 100,000 gallon tank in the ceiling. I'm like, I don't think I could get people to sit in this building if they know this is, <laughs> I don't think this is going to work, right? And what do you have to do to hold all that water up? I mean, that's a, how do you build that kind of structure? And so, in, in order to do that, we had to reduce the size of this room, we had to make this platform all concrete. This, it's not made out of wood like most platforms are made out of. It's made out of concrete. We had to reduce. We, we had to reduce how much wood was in the building, you know, so that it's not combustible. We're like, well, we'd love to have a you know city water. Won't you bring city water? They're like, well, we'll bring it to you for one hundred sixty-five thousand dollars. Well, we didn't have one hundred sixty-five thousand extra dollars floating around back then. We do now, perhaps, but still, it's like, ooh, that's just a hard pill to swallow for. So city, what? for something that you will never see, just it's underground, right, all the infrastructure just underground, oh, it was like, ah oh, drove me nuts, uh, but anyway, I know they're just trying to keep us, you know, safe, whatever, but, uh, so, uh, I'm not, I'm not a big rules guy, I don't like them, I don't, you know, I remember I'm the speed, I'm the, I'm the speeding tickets guy, I'm, I don't like that concept. But look at what the Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter 5. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. Now this is really talking about spiritual leadership here, your pastors and dads. and Them which labor, labor among you and are over you in the Lord and, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. And so he spends a little time on this concept of, what our response to authority is and why it's important. So we're going to take a look at this. So who are our authorities? Of course, your parents. Children, obey your parents to the Lord. For this. In all things, I'm sorry, for this is the will of... This is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Pastors, obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Now, I'm going to tell you, pastoral authority is not nearly what our churches have made it in the past. You know we are to be we are literally read First Peter chapter five we are to not be lords of the flock we're not that's not our job and so uh, it, it becomes really careful here but having said all of that the the response the responsibility of you to be respectful to those who are ministering to you whether it's a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or whatever. Uh, you know, that responsibility is heavy on you uh, to uh, watch over them carefully. Uh, Teachers, coaches, referees... Have you ever seen people go nuts on coaches and referees? And the wonderful thing that teaches our kids? It never comes back to us the exact same way, but it comes back to us probably in worse ways, right? If we're out there... Um, you know, letting the coaches and referees have it because we don't recognize them as having true authority, and then we're shocked when our kids let us have it because they're responding to this, the authority in their lives the same way they're watching us respond to the authority of the bosses and police officers and government officials, and and ultimately God is the great authority, right? Uh, this this is huge. We need to. We need to understand our, the need for us to reflect Christ-like character in, to those who have authority over us. And none of us like authority, right? We just don't. Uh, you know, but we all have to submit to someone. And on this list, there's several someones that we have to submit to, police officers, bosses, and government officials, and God. No matter where else you fit into the scheme of things, you might you might be the boss uh, at uh, your work, but you know uh, you know you're gonna have there's a lot of people to submit to. <laughs> it cracks me up when you get to the coaches and referees. How much time and money people spend to send their kids into sports, and what's the reason we send our kids into sports as Christians? What do we say? It builds character. It builds character. And then we watch as those parents who are so concerned about character are sitting on the sidelines showing the tr- their character to the coaches and referees. Like, wait a minute. Do we want to build character or not? What's, what is our purpose again? Why are we spending all this time and money doing it? I'm not against sports. My kids, you, my, you know this, my kids played every sport they could possibly play. I, and I went to, I, I seldom ever missed a game for either one of my kids. I, I was there, and so I even go to some of your kids' stuff and scream and holler and make fools, and some of you don't ever want me to come to your kids' stuff. Cause, <laughs> isn't that right? I have it, my voice is loud, and I'm not afraid to use it. And so, uh, you know, so I'll, so like when I go to Suburban or whatever, when, uh, when we're someplace, and one of the kids on the team is from our church, and they do something good, I always say, they're from my church! And, you know, there's about 200 people there, but my voice carries out over all of them, and it's like, you know, and even... I, say I do say it repeatedly. I do. It's humiliating. I love it. And uh, so, anyway, uh, you know, but we want to be careful, right? Do we? Are we trying to build character or not? So I think we're spending all this money to do something, and then we're tearing it down as fast as we're... You know, it just you may as well just... Throw your money my way, right? It's like, wow, because that's a lot of money people spend on sports. If you're on a travel team, that's like, what, 3500 bucks, $4,000 to go on a travel team? Oh, you know, I, that sounds great. I'm not, against, I'm not against sports, but if we're going to do it, then we better be actually letting it do something for us. Uh, now, this is the guy talking to you. Is police officers on there, I know. You know, when I got my 23rd speeding ticket, I said to myself, I don't think this police officer understands who I am. (laughs) You think I'm making this up. I'm not. I am a a minister of God. I was a youth pastor. Who does he think he is? And it was a problem. It really was. But then I started reading my Bible. You know what Romans chapter 13 tells me about the police officer? You You know what God's word says about the police officer? He is a minister of God. For my good, ouch, ouch, that's a big deal. And God was like, John, you're going to get this thing taken care of, or I'm going to, you know, sitting in that jail that night, I'm telling you, when I got arrested, I'm I'm waiting for that kid in my youth group to come bail me out. I was like, okay, God, it's time for me to rethink my priorities here. What am I teaching this youth group about authority? And uh, so God had to had to really work with me on it. Um, let me show you some things. This the the little titles are his from the book. The rest of them are mine. Um, you know, criticizing authority puts your kids at risk because it's gonna we're, they're gonna take what we do right. They, our kids every single time the good stuff that we do they take it further than we took it. That's biblical, right? They are the proverbial um, arrow in the bow, and they go farther than us. But you know what they do with the bad stuff that we do? They go further than we took it. So here we are, and we're criticizing the government and the police and this and that, and, and they're going to go further. And uh, so snide remarks, uh, you know, have you ever heard, that's unbelievable. Now, unbelievable is an okay word, unless you're using it sarcastically. Uh, I would never, yeah, you're going to hear that in the story later on. That's the worst, or my three-year-old would Know how to do things better than that. Uh, those snide remarks that people might make. Critical spirit, never and always. You know, some they never make good calls. They always are against our team. They never, uh, you know, help the church out. They're always against the th- the principles of God. Uh, you know, I mean, fill in the blank, right? And and we're, we've just got this critical spirit, harsh words, stupid, idiot, moron, jerk. Have you ever used those toward someone who has authority? Like, you know, maybe you've thought those things about some presidents that aren't that far beyond. I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying, those harsh words, we are sending a message about authority. We think we're sending a message about right and wrong, and we are, but we're sending a message about authority. And now we're living in a society where the message is, they bought into it. The message is real clear they don't pay attention to authority at all. Go teach in a Christian school, you'll find out. They don't care about authority. You know why? Because their parents didn't. And I mean, We're we reaping what we've sown. And we've got to be careful with these harsh words. Uh, sometimes our, our view of authority is this last one. We, ha- we feel like we have the need to right all the wrongs, right? Uh, if this person doesn't do it right this person doesn't do it right and so i've got to tell them how they're supposed to do it right so i mean you know like i can't wait to the sermons over so i can corner pastor and let him know what he should have said you know you get the idea i mean uh so here's david and absalom right absalom is the wannabe king david is the god appointed king and absalom wants to become king and absalom says moreover oh that i were made judge in the land and this is what Absalom wants, that every man which had any suit or course or or cause, I'm sorry, might come unto me and I would do him justice. If I were in charge, it would be like this. Right? Because I am so much better than my father David. That's what Absalom is saying. And look, keep on going down because Absalom begins to step in. Look at the last part. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He led the hearts of the men of Israel toward him. But guess what happens at the end? Absalom dies, and David says or God says, "Hey guys, I made David king, not Absalom. He's the one. You get the idea? God, no. And so the hearts were swayed, but they were just swayed towards sin. It wasn't a good thing. Sometimes we just feel like we just have to right every wrong because we're not willing to trust God to be able to work, us, work the circumstance through it. And it's a challenge. So, you know, uh, how does this put our kids at risk? Well, we've already talked about that concept. So, number 23. Got to hurry, I'm running out of time. Three more of these to go. To avoid contention. Uh, conflict can be draining. We use the same conflict there with Absalom and David and uh, how it's just draining on, on all of them. Uh, so that David, literally, uh, if you if you read the story, at some point David just kind of gives up. Like, okay, well let Absalom be king. It's just draining to live in constant conflict, and we need to l- we need to learn how to avoid contention. So in Proverbs, and I want to say it's Proverbs ten thirteen. I should have looked this up this morning, Miss Amy. I forgot. Did you have to look it up? <laughs> Is it Proverbs ten thirteen, Proverbs thirteen ten? One of those. Anyway, it says this: Only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. So in other words, if you and somebody else are, are at odds, there's pride involved. Because only by pride cometh contention. Get rid of the pride, the contention goes away. That's, that's the given of the scripture. We can learn to avoid, as was happened with David and, John, and Absalom, right? Absalom was full of pride and wanted to be king and and uh, so only by pride cometh contention. But I tell you, contention can be draining. You know, it's not easy to live every day in this constant conflict and turmoil, right? You, you know those kinds of people that they just they just drain you because it's like you know as soon as they walk into the room, it's going to change the room temperature, and everybody's going to start. It just changes the mood. Everybody <laughs> because contention becomes draining. We need to learn how to avoid contention. Uh, here's some of the problems. Here's why it's a problem. There are some people who actually feed off of conflict. You know, There are some people who aren't happy unless everybody around them is unhappy. So you know what they do? They gossip to try to create a problem. Have you... I, I was mentioned this morning, praise the Lord, this has not happened. I, you, there's not a single person in this room that's ever seen something like this at our church. Have you ever been in one of those business meetings where there's that one guy who just, he's asking questions, and you, he's not asking questions to get answers. He's asking questions to cause problems. You, you understand what I'm saying? You've seen those meetings before. might not be a church business meeting. It might be any kind of business meeting. It's like, And you know, in your mind you're just saying, just shut up. And, you know, because you're not helping, you're not helping. But there's some people, they just thrive on it. They've got to have conflict, got to have conflict. Don't be that person. We need to learn how to avoid this. Uh, Some like to create it, like to fashion conflict. They actually get, you know, not just like to live in it, but they want to actually be the creators of it. Some people run away from conflict, and that doesn't help either, right? I mean, running away from conflict isn't the answer. Uh, you know, the Bible teaches us what the answer is. You have a problem with someone, what are you supposed to do? Go and talk to them. Running away isn't the answer, right? You go and talk to them. And if, they can't, if, if you can't get anywhere with them and, and you're convinced that you're right and, and they have an issue, then you take someone with you to talk to them. That, I mean, get another perspective in, going, in what's going on. But running is not the good answer. So here's the basic problem. This is what we do with conflict. We're in a habit of this. We feed off of it, we fashion it, and we flee from it, and we ought not to do those things. So then he gets into this um, list here, how how he can, he calls it helpful hints for his son, uh, how he can deal with it. He bases it off of James 1, 19, I'm sorry. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So he gives us four things. Be slow to strive in the striving. What do you think? What's... What's meant by the word "strive"? Are we talking about fist fighting here? What do you think? Yeah. Say it again. Okay, be slow to not give forth that. Be, be slow to just be slow to start an argument. Let, let's let's not make this a conflict. Be slow to. <laughs> Step up. Oh, i got to say something. Be slow to step in and and create that conflict. right? Be slow to strive. Don't create the conflict. Second, be quick to settle. Be quick to settle. Have you ever tried to apologize to someone and they won't accept it? What are you supposed to do at this point, right? I I was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry I did it. Please forgive me. You you, You know what you can't do? You can't erase it. Right, you can't erase it. That's what you can't do. So it it requires, on the other end, someone who's willing to settle. Right, so be quick to settle. You know, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Stay quiet. Um, Oh man, how much we could get taken care of if we just learned to close our mouth. Right, just, just stay quiet. I know this has happened in almost every person. If you've got kids, this has happened at some point with one of your kids. Son, don't say another word. And then they keep speaking. Don't say another And then they keep speaking. And with every time they speak, what's happening in y- with you? You're getting angrier and angrier and angrier. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. You know, we could avoid conflict by just staying quiet. Just shut up up, and it'll help a lot. Uh, this last one, it's not really in, in James one nineteen. He adds it on here, and I think this one's worthy of our considering. Be sensitive to shame. What is shame? What is, what is the purpose of shame? Okay, the purpose of shame is to recognize that we've done something wrong in such a way that it will drive us to back to the other sheet where it said, you know, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, back to confess and forsake. It it will drive us to getting it right. That's the whole purpose of shame, right? Once you've gotten right, what happens to shame? It should go away, right? I mean, it should go away. David, you know, in, in... Psalm 51, you know, he was he was he recognized he was not right with God, and he says, "Have mercy upon me, O God." And he crawls into the presence of God. But in Hebrews chapter four, the person who is right with God, you know what he does? He comes boldly to the throne of grace because the shame is gone. Once the shame, once the once the sin is dealt with, the shame is lifted. Having said that, we're talking about human beings. We're not talking about you know God's perfect uh, economy here uh we 're not there we're we're working with human beings, and sometimes people hold on to shame, and so they 're embarrassed they're ashamed at what has taken place, and you 've forgiven them, but there's still like this wall between you. Have you ever noticed you ever had something like that there's just an embarrassment you're embarrassed you're you're ashamed of what you did and what you said. And you, we need to be sensitive to the idea of helping people know how to get over shame. And the way we do that is to perfect our forgiveness, right? We, we lose the shame with God because God lifts the... He takes it away, and, and He remembers them no more, right? He buries them as far as the east is... or in the deepest sea, and separates them as far as the east is from the west. Our sin is gone in God's eyes, and so the shame is lifted... So we've got to help that person over that hurdle, that person who we're trying to you know, get this conflict taken care of, but there's going to be some shame that's, that we may have to deal with, and I thought that was worthy of considering. Number 24. I'm out of time. Number 24. Develop some toughness. Why did I use diamonds? They're the hardest element, right, uh, that we have, and? Not only that, but how did diamonds become the hardest element? Pressure. pressure. Pressure, years and years and years of pressure, right? They start out as coal. You pressurize that and it turns into a diamond. Coal which we just, you know, break apart and burn or a diamond which we break apart and sell for a whole lot of money, right? So it's like there's a big difference. We need to develop some toughness. We we live in a community We're in a society where everybody is so thin-skinned. You know, they're just thin-skinned. You're you're afraid if somebody says, "So, tell me, who am I looking for? What's he look like?" You're afraid to say. I mean, how do you say? Well, he's a, a bald, short, wrinkled white guy. How do you say that without, you know, offending a thousand people today? I mean, everybody gets offended for you. We live in this. Thin skin society. Develop some toughness. If we're going to serve God, we're going to have to learn to be some tough people, right? This is not easy. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Develop some toughness. Uh, So, the questions in the book he uses David and Goliath, right? David had to develop some toughness. He'd fought a bear, he fought a lion, now he's fighting a giant. Can we stand alone? Is our obedience a priority? We're going to be obedient no matter what everybody else says? Or do we, I love this last one, do you run at the enemy or from the enemy? Good question. We need to develop some toughness, right? We need to develop. We historically have had the toughest army on the planet, or the toughest military on the planet, historically. That confidence, the confidence of that statement is not as confident as it once was in our nation. And I'm not, this is not to disrespect the military. I praise the Lord for them. But it is a question mark as to the toughness that we're creating. We, we're creating a military that is thin skinned and easily offended. A- and it's a dangerous place for us to be. So develop some toughness. Gotta stop. Here we go. Last one, I'm done. And this is literally just the last last one. 25, escape the collision. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 22. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But the simple, pass on, and are, you can't see it because I didn't get my white box down, but it's down at the very bottom there in the green, punished. A- and the idea is this. We can avoid most of life's problems. We can avoid most of life's problems by being a prudent man, a wise person, who looks ahead and says, you know what? This is a train wreck waiting to happen maybe we should switch tracks. Maybe we should flip the switch, right? Flip the switch and let's avoid the collision. It's possible for us to avoid the collision. But the simple, they just don't pay attention and they just go right on and suffer the consequences. So here's the questions then. In order to do this, in order to be this prudent man, we need to be teachable. And so the question is, would other people describe you as teachable? I'm not asking if you think you're teachable. I'm asking my wife, does she think I'm teachable? You know, there's a danger of being the constant teacher. I teach at church, I teach at school, I teach at home. There's a danger of being the constant teacher. You start thinking, man, I'm so smart, everybody has to listen to me. I must be that way because I'm teaching everywhere I go, right? Right? The question is, am I teachable? Because if I want to be this wise man who can look ahead, ooh, I need to learn some things. Am I growing? Am I growing in humility? Am I growing in service? Am I actually growing in Christ? Is there progress in my spiritual walk? Am I putting off, renewing, putting on? Am I putting off, renewing, putting on? If, if these aren't true, then can you figure out what, which of the two categories you're in over here? Prudent or Simple. If you're not teachable, growing, and progressing in your Christian walk, which of these two people do you think you are over here? You're a train wreck waiting to happen. We need to learn to be teachable people. Father, uh, grow us up. We'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you take some time to pray together and uh, make sure that you remember Miss Vicky and Brother Chuck and the decisions he's making, and go on from there. God bless you. You are dismissed.